This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Bugle, The Majority Report, The Jimmy Dore Show, The Young Turks, The David Pakman Show, The Media Matters Minute, and The Rachel Maddow Show. And a note for any listeners sensitive to hearing grown men and women cry when they lose, proceed with caution. Top story this week, and obviously in this week of all weeks, there is only one place to start with the news that gets everyone around the world awake through the night to historic moments in social history. Good news for some people, viewed as a disaster by others. And that news, of course, was the news that coffee is extinct. Wait, what? Or could be extinct in 70 years' time. That's uh, Arabica coffee, wild Arabica coffee. But boffins in laboratories have claimed the entire genetic sustainability of coffee as a species is under threat, John, and that coffee could be dead by this time next century. That's all coffee, John. See, here's the thing, Andy. Now, especially now, with the level of tiredness I feel at the moment, the very notion of the possibility of coffee going extinct is so alarming that I cannot even joke about it. This does not seem like a subject for comedy, Andy. that's, That's my... Really, my second complaint. The first complaint is that that cannot be a top story, Andy, because what the f*** are you talking about, Andy? <laughs> top story this week, the election is over. It is over, Andy, and Barack Obama was re-elected president. But more importantly, <laughs> the election is over. It's over. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God almighty, we are free of this bullshit at last. Well, Andy, despite Florida's best efforts in finally finishing counting their votes two days after they were supposed to, (laughs) this election is now fully over. A winner has been declared in every state, and President Obama has been re-elected as America's new old president. (laughs) And that whooshing sound was the bullets that almost every country in the world dodged with a Romney presidency. (laughs) Unless you live in Pakistan, in which case that whooshing sound was an Obama drone strike whizzing past your house. (laughs) Either way, we all got lucky. (laughs) Now, the truth is, Andy, that this election ended like any other American election ends, with just under 50% of the electorate absolutely devastated. (laughs) Because that's the way it goes here in this country. Under a two-party system, America has become as divided as one of King Solomon's babies. (laughs) Unhealthily, straight down the middle. Uh, There is no doubt that, like Florida, this is not a good state for American democracy to be in. Because, not to labour a point, I'm not sure what the f*** Florida thought they were doing, Andy, because this is all over, no thanks to them. The result was announced before midnight uh, on Tuesday, which was surprisingly quickly and certainly a lot earlier than most Americans had braced themselves for, because when you have a presidential election, Andy, that involves the state of Florida, which unfortunately is most of them, you have to prepare yourself for the worst. I wasn't just ready for a long night. I was ready for a long few weeks. I'd stocked up on canned goods and candles in the office just in case Broward County decided they wanted to start f***ing with the rest of the country again. <laughs> well, just in the, uh, the, well, clearly the American people are split, but the American media also seems split on, as you say, whether America had in fact dodged a bullet or whether it had deliberately stood in the way of a bullet and he- head-butted it while shouting, bang. <laughs> and, you know, it's very, I mean, it's hard, you know, it's a bit too early to say, you know, who this is good news and bad news for. I guess an Obama victory mm. is very good news, as you suggested, for the Pakistan roofing industry. 
Yep. Uh, also good news for Mitt Romney, because being president is frankly a really shit job, and I would not <laughs> yes, wish it, it is. on my worst enemy, which explains why I've never voted for either Osama bin Laden, never really got on with him, the former Al-Qaeda frontman and professional scripture misinterpreter, and I've also never voted for Sam Taylor, the former comedy critic from the Observer newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> Grinding, <laughs> grindingly mediocre. I was only on for 20 minutes! You can't <laughs> grind in 20 minutes! <laughs> The point is, Andy, <laughs> this election has left me an empty husk. This election season and this election week took what was left of both my energy and my will to live. And if the result had gone a different way, it might have taken the rest of my faith in human nature as well. <laughs> and so, once more, President Obama walked out onto a stage in Grant Park in front of an adoring crowd who gave him a messianic response despite having four years of pretty hard concrete evidence that this was far from a perfect president, <laughs> let alone the messiah. And he went on to give the kind of fantastic speech that just made you wish that he could govern as well as he talks about governing. Because when you listen to him deliver the kind of speech that brings a lump to your throat, you find yourself thinking... Why can't someone like him ever be president before <laughs> reminding yourself, oh shit, he is president and he has been for the last four years. Except that guy on the stage giving the speech, Andy, has not been president. It's been just a very tired man who looks a lot like him and has been trying to negotiate the bullshit minefield of DC politics. I don't know if you can tell from the tone of my voice, Andy, or read between the lines, but I'm so, so glad that this election <laughs> is over. This has been an incredibly expensive, incredibly cynical, and incredibly depressing election. Having said that, watching Herman Cain run for president <laughs> was, was like watching the most entertaining car crash that I've ever seen. If only it could have gone on longer. 2016. Uh, Cain for 2016. Yeah. He has the official bugle endorsement. <laughs> Don't rule it out, Andy. He is as interested and as qualified then as he is now. <laughs> uh, also, lest we forget, this election has actually made US history, Andy, because it has never, ever before cost so much money to not become president. <laughs> that is something. So, what, what did he spend? It was almost was it, was almost $2 billion, was it? Or uh, mm -hmm. I've seen various figures bandied around between 2 and $6 billion on the overall cost of the campaign. I, mean, I guess, you know, I mean, that's pocket money for Romney, but um, yeah, it does seem like they could possibly have spent it on better things, maybe just, you know, a giant... 50 me metre high statue of Herman Cain dressed as Abraham Lincoln, perhaps. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's a fair point, Andy. You know, if it was... Each side spent over a billion dollars in the course of this campaign, and Americans might well find themselves asking, well, what could that $2 billion <laughs> have been better spent on? And I actually think I have a couple of key suggestions. One, they could have just set fire to it. Because... <laughs> I think that literally might have been a better use. For a start, you don't get any of the poisonous campaign media that was that the money was used to buy, so you're already up on the deal by getting nothing. Plus, you know, burning two billion might actually, in a small way, help reduce inflation slightly. <laughs> or two, they could have just simply put the money in a glass box so that the American people could look at it and appreciate what both campaigns had not spent the money on. <laughs> Thus, putting the approval rate of most American politicians in general up around 10,000%. 
Hi, everyone. Just a quick note about Best of the Left being nominated for two podcast awards at podcastawards.com this year. We're up for awards in the Best Produced category as well as the News and Politics category. And not only that, lots of other progressive outlets are nominated in all sorts of other categories as well. So I suggest voting for Sam Cedar's Majority Report for the People's Choice, The Young Turks for Best Video Podcast, Citizen Radio in Comedy, Throwing Shade for the GLBT category, and Savage Love in the Mature category and consider doing what I've done and set a daily alarm for yourself so you can vote for all of your favorite shows in all the various categories each day at podcastawards.com until November 15th when voting closes. Thanks so much for your support. I don't know what was the best moment. The next best moment on Fox, after Megyn Kelly was like, okay, Ohio's been called, what, what does that mean? Well, it means that's the that's the presidency. That's what what uh, what the president. I mean, we've only been studying for months as to what the electoral college is. We've only been waiting for four hours as to what's going to happen if Ohio goes to President Obama. Now that it's gone to him, what does that mean? Yeah, it means you lost. But what do you do? If you have been suckling at the teat of billionaires, telling them that they're going to win if they just give you money to go out and buy ads where you get a 10, 15% markup, part of that money, well, uh, you hang on white-knuckled. And that's exactly what Carl Rove did. Here is Chris Wallace making the call on Ohio. And... Carl Rove going well I have great respect for our decision desk and I see that they're very happy in Chicago but I've got to tell you the Romney camp has real doubts about the call that's been made by us and I guess other networks about Ohio they do not believe that Ohio is in the Obama camp I just got an email from a top Romney person I said do you agree with our call he said not really it is less than 20,000 votes not Really? That doesn't seem like a strong refutation to me. Do you agree with our call? Eh, not really. Now, with 20% of the vote still out in GOP areas, Carl was just on the phone with somebody else, and you got some more recent figures. Well, here it is. The secretary, the, 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 the networks, our network called on the basis of about 74% of the vote being in. The Secretary of State website has 77.49% of the vote in, and it shows 2,229,686 votes for President Obama with 49.19% of the vote, and for Governor Romney, 2,228,695 uh, uh, a 911-vote difference, 49.17. And when you say it's a 900-vote, Obama is leading 900, 900 votes. When it, when, it, when it was at 74%, it was 20-some-odd thousand votes. Now, with... Okay, so there he is. He's going on and on. Nobody at Fox. I think half of them were in the bag, frankly. I think they have them were drunk. And because they, I think they knew this was going to be a long night and Romney was going to lose. But Carl Rove still jibber-jabbing about the numbers. I'm looking at the numbers, and blah, 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 and then he continues on. This is going on for minutes. I think this is premature. We got 70. We got a quarter of the vote. Now, remember, here's the thing about Ohio. A third of the vote or more is cast early. That is won overwhelmingly by the Democrats. It's counted first, and then you count the election day. And the question is, do the, do, by the time you finish counting... Yeah, Carl Rove's got the math. 
He's got the math, everybody. He's, got, he's working out the numbers. He's going to go back to the website. He's going to check the website. I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but you should. we got to be careful about calling things when we have like 991 votes separating the two candidates. And he goes on and on, on and on. Like precincts, I'd be very cautious about intruding in this process. Well, folks, <laughs> uh, so maybe not so fast. Thanks a lot. Thank you. That's, it's great to have you guys here. Um, That's awkward. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to get someone from the decision desk, and we're going to bring them in here. And we're going to have them on air, and we're going to interview them about this decision. Well, I think we should sit them next to Carl Rove and interview both of them. Let them interview each other. Michael. Yeah, they're drunk. And then what happens is Meg and Kelly gets up because they can't get... The people from their uh, their segment producers or wherever it is who called it. So she walks down the hall, goes in and talks to him. The guy just looks up at her and says, well, you know, it's what we do for a living. Um, all we do is crunch these numbers. And she said, are you sure? And the guy says, yeah, well, I'm 99.998% sure, yeah. And she's like, okay, I'll go back and tell Carl. And then they have to bring somebody out to debate Carl because he will not let go because he has already exposed himself. And so he's not going to back down. He figures in his mind, and he was smart, if I keep this up for another 45 minutes, half the people are going to go to bed anyways, and I'm not going to have to. I'm going to have one-third the audience in which I sort of slink off. And that's exactly what happened. i got to say I enjoyed it. This week, President Obama won re-election. Obama's victory was made even sweeter by the idea that Romney really did think he was going to win. Maybe he got thrown off by too much praying. Anyway, that's about the most I've ever enjoyed someone else's disappointment. Most of what's now being said about the campaign was known long before election night. For one thing, that Romney depended too heavily on white voters to win. Couldn't they figure that out just by going to one of his rallies? <laughs> Another unreported piece of information that should have been obvious was that Obama's supporters hated Romney just as much as Romney's supporters hated Obama. We were all worried about Romney becoming president, not just those people on Facebook. The pundits also didn't seem to think black voters or younger voters would turn out for Obama the way they had the last time. This was obviously based on information they got from the Romney campaign. It's also a huge shock to Republicans how badly they did with Hispanic voters. Maybe that goes back to all those times Romney promised he would do nothing for them. <laughs> Toward the end of the campaign, news stories focused on how close the polls were, not on the fact that Obama supporters had been voting for a month. <laughs> These same polls put Obama ahead in nearly all of the swing states, yet it took Hurricane Sandy to stop Romney's fake momentum. By the end of October, even women had apparently turned on Obama and decided they didn't need to control their bodies after all. <laughs> The media seemed to consider Romney's pathological dishonesty off-limits, as if it wasn't fair to call Romney a liar just because he was constantly lying. (laughs) 
Now, of course, the pundits are focused on how bad a campaign he ran and what a bad message he conveyed. They should be asking, why did he only lose by two points? We don't know how the next four years will unfold, but neither Mitt Romney nor his secret plan to create jobs will have anything to do with them. All in all, not a bad week. Here at Best of the Left, supporting the good works of others is our entire reason for existence. Since the beginning of 2006, I've been making this show to highlight what I consider to be some of the best of the truly liberal media. Now I'm working on several ways to promote the best progressive activism around. Ruminate for a moment on whether you enjoy this show or consider its goals to be worthwhile, and if you do, please consider supporting this work by becoming a member for as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. It's the donations of members that allow the show to continue and continue to improve. Thanks so much for your support. New report by CBS News. Turns out the Mitt Romney people absolutely, positively believed they were going to win. They weren't faking it. They weren't just saying it for the cameras. They really thought it until the very moment they lost. And then they went, what? What happened? So it turns out that, according to Jan Crawford, uh, this is how it went down throughout the night. They said, after Ohio went for Mr. Obama, it was over, but senior advisors say no one could process it. I already love that. And then here is a Romney senior advisor quoted. We went into the evening confident we had a good path to victory. I don't think there was one person who saw this coming. Now, pause and think about that. But wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. In the best case scenario, it was going to be a really tight election in your favor. That's your best case scenario. Not one person in the campaign thought, hey, what if we lose? That didn't occur to you? Oh, come on. But it goes to their smugness and this attitude like, well, <laughs> well, of course it's going to be us. It can't be that Obama guy. But, but they really mean this. Listen, watch this. So, same senior advisor, quote, Romney was stoic as he talked to the president, an aide said, but his wife, Anne, cried. Running mate Paul Ryan seemed genuinely shocked. And then they go on to say, quote, there's nothing worse than when you think you're going to win and you don't. It was like a sucker punch. But, but wait, how could it be a sucker punch? Did you read none of the polls? How, how could you not see that you were down by three to five in Ohio? You were down in Virginia. You were down in Colorado. What is wrong with you people? But the thing is, you know, Romney is so smug. He thinks, well, that's what I do. I, you know, I, that's, I win. I win, right? Well, obviously. I don't know if it was a religious thing, too, like, you know, Bush used to think, like, oh, this preordained from God, obviously. The lords of COBOL have decided I'm going to be president, whatever. Like, he apparently didn't write a speech if he had to concede. He only had a victory speech. And it wasn't like false arrogance. They were positive they were going to win. Quote, he was shell-shocked. Now, we were wondering why it took them so long to get out there to do the concession speech. It turns out since they couldn't believe they had lost, they literally did not believe it. So they... 
saw that Karl Rove on Fox News had said that, ah, oh, maybe Ohio isn't lost. They're like, yes, yes, of course it's not lost, of course, right. And they're like, uh, Columbus and, uh, and Cincinnati. Once Columbus and Cincinnati come in, we're going to be in good shape. That made no sense. Then they lost Colorado. And then Florida looked terrible. North Carolina had been called. Pennsylvania had been called. Everything's going wrong. And they're like, no, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. We're, we're going to win. We're going to win. Wrong again, Bob. <laughs> you lost. And that's also why the concession speech was so short. We were wondering why that was. It's because he had to write it last minute. He's like, ouch. He didn't expect it. And it, when the Lords of Cobol or whatever it is that he thought was going to hand him the victory didn't hand it to him or his dad, whoever has handed him all his victories throughout life, he's like, but I thought I had this in my trust fund. Well, what the hell are we going to do now? And somebody brought Rafalka by and they're like, well, exit stage left. He's like, I did not expect that. All right. Gone. Shell shocked. I love it. But look, if you're that arrogant, that's how you lose elections. If you think there's no way you can lose, trust me, there's a way you can lose. Especially when you were down by 10 in Ohio with five weeks left to go. And nobody considered whether you would lose. Wow, what a terrible, ridiculous campaign. No wonder they bungled it so badly. Because they thought, it doesn't really matter what we do, we're, we're definitely going to win. It's a broken heart, babe. The racism exploding after the President Obama re-election. Ole Miss students down in Mississippi yelling out racial slurs in a campus riot, protesting President Obama's re-election. More than 400 students gathered to protest the re-election. Two of them were arrested, one of them for public intoxication. Word started spreading over social media, and the crowd started growing more and more and more, chanting and yelling racial slurs, anti-Obama rhetoric, throwing rocks at cars. The Ole Miss chancellor said about the student body that they took a very immature and uncivil approach to expressing their views about the election. Yeah, I would say that that's an understatement. No kidding. Who knows what would have happened to their, uh, to their student loans had Mitt Romney become president. Yeah, that's the reality. And yeah. the administration from Ole Miss also condemned the racial epithets and they called for students to recommit themselves to tolerance. Yes, racist students, you have to tolerate the black man in the White House. Please, Please tolerate him. The other funny thing is Drudge Report, this is really funny, when there are liberals protesting, like around the entire Occupy movement, whenever an individual pro uh, occupier was caught doing something wrong, Drudge would put it up there as in, look at these bad protesters. And then when it was anti-Obama protest, because they're so angry, Drudge puts it up there and other conservatives as, as if, as in, Wow, look at the stuff, type of stuff that Obama's causing. It's right. Obama's fault that all these kids are so angry. No, no doubt. So many things that get me angry and so many things that get me mad. So many things that get me angry and I gotta say. So many things that get me angry and so many things.
those of you who don't know, uh, Random Rush is when I randomly turn on Rush Limbaugh through my uh, app here, whatever it is, Wonder Radio, and I listen to Rush Limbaugh for 60 seconds, and I rebut him in 90 seconds. I know some of you don't like to hear from him, but uh, sorry, folks. That's what we're going to do. And let's see if... Uh... I can, I can... Okay, hold on. There he is. Okay, so here we go. I start now. Here it is. Random Rush. But why don't the Marco Rubios, the Alan Wests... What a great man. What a great American. Alan West, what a great role model. Clarence Thomas. Herman Cain. None of it counts. Don't tell me the Republican Party doesn't have outreach. We do. But what are we supposed to do now? We're supposed to, in order that mean, open the borders and embrace the illegals. Is that what I want you to think about this? Is is that what it means? Is that what the Republican establishment said? So we got to reach out to Hispanics. Is that what they mean? If we're not getting the female vote, do we become pro-choice? Do we start passing out birth control pills? Is that what we have to do? Okay, let me ask you, if that's what we have to do... All right. Now in 90 seconds, well, this is what I've been talking about since the, uh, the, the opening uh, remarks of this program today. This is why the Republican Party will never, ever, ever again, well, at least until maybe my kid, my seven-year-old is voting, win a national election. Because though you will get the Peggy Noonans, the Dick Morrises, the Brit Humes, the David Brooks, all of the Republican establishment types, all the non-Neanderthal just... Uh, money-grubbing uh, Republican types, they may say, we've got to expand the party. We cannot overtly hate uh, brown people. <laughs> we cannot deny access to birth control to women. We cannot say that there's legitimate rape and illegitimate rape, and we can't uh, continue to, to kowtow to these religious fundamentalists. There is, they have created a Frankenstein. And Rush Limbaugh is one of the guys, the brain of the Frankenstein. There is just too much incentive on the right to let go of all that hatred because that's how he makes his money. That's how he establishes his power. And that's how little uh, congressmen, maybe in the South, they'll get reelected by continuing to be this crazy. So the Republican Party cannot return from where it came, from any type of moderation, it will continue this death spiral led by its intellectual pillar, Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> the names he threw out, my God. That was fantastic. <laughs> Herman Kane. Herman Kane. <laughs> I didn't even have a chance to get to all those. Here's our group. We have three black people. We have three black people. Three black people. Herman Cain. Is no one taking him seriously anymore? He's the one who came up with 999. That's two more than needed to be a token. <laughs> That's right. We don't just have one black guy. We've got three black guys. What are we supposed to do now? Hand out ab abortion pills? 
like fund education for kids. Yeah. No. Whoa. 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 Yeah, I'm sorry. This is this is. I mean, this. I we could not have that could not have fit into the theme of today's program any better. Uh, the the Republican Party is just they're just they're in a death spiral. Jackson was not happy with the election results last night, so she took to Twitter to share with the world how upset she really was. Let's read some of her tweets. Uh, first, she tweeted, I can't stop crying. That's awesome. <laughs> Next tweet, America died. Uh, and then she wrote, and then she did a combination of both, I can't stop crying, America died. Hey, <laughs> we got it the first time. Yeah, we got it, Victoria. <laughs> and then she tweeted, Wow, only 57 fo- 5,700 followers. I never realized how irrelevant oh, yeah. she is. Oh, that's so sad. Okay, anyways, yeah, uh-huh. All right, so she, then, then she tweets, the Democrat Party who voted God out of their platform and adopted Romans 1 as their platform won in the good versus evil battle today, evil won. And she's referring to Romans 1 when she talks about good versus evil. And then well, I have uh, no idea what that means. And uh, I'm familiar with the Democratic Party platform. I don't remember it having Romans 1 or Greeks 27 or anything along those lines. I, I'm sure it's a Bible verse, obviously. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, but she's out in cuckoo land. And last but not least, thanks a lot, Christians, for not showing up. You disgust me. Yeah. No, no, but that's such a wonderfully Christian thing to say. <laughs> Because that's what Jesus would have said. You vote Republican, otherwise you disgust me. Can you imagine Jesus being like, hey, you know what? I think you should pay a higher copay. You know, this Obamacare specific. Oh, now your kid's on your insurance until 26. Jesus would have been totally against that. You know who Jesus hated? Hmm. The Iranians. <laughs> what a bomb to... You Christians disgust me for not voting against Obama. You know, it's kind of incredible how personally Republicans take this. Like, I have a few Republican friends, I believe it or not, who, mm-hmm. who like, t- you know, uh, updated their Facebook statuses after Obama won. And it, every single one of them were cussing, like, fucking America, you guys fucked up again. Like, wait angry. a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That sounds very unpatriotic. That's, okay, oh, I don't know. Can you imagine if a uh, liberal had said that? If they were running for, and these yeah. guys aren't running for office, okay? Right, but, right. but if they hadn't, God, say that about America? Right. How could you? Right. Okay, but when their guy loses, fucking America. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Bradley Herring. During the presidential election cycle, Fox News' political analyst Dick Morris repeatedly made electoral predictions at odds with polling data and common sense. Here's a sample. 
and I've said this before, and everybody either gives a sigh of relief or a cynical laugh, there is no chance that Obama will get reelected. Zilch, none, zip, nada. All right. And we're also, by the way, going to win 10 seats in the Senate. You know, after the election, either I'm going to have to go through a big reckoning, or they are. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? They are. Even the day before the election, Morris predicted a Romney landslide. But during an appearance on the O'Reilly Factor earlier this year, O'Reilly told Morris that he was, quote, so far out on the limb for a Romney win that if Obama was reelected, Morris would be through. Sorry, Dick Morris. Guess that means you're through. Let's uh, go, go on to number three, which I mentioned, of course, Glenn Beck. This is one of my favorite clips. Now, let me prepare you for this clip. For people who are only going to be able to hear this, Glenn Beck's new studio, number one, it partly looks like the Oval Office. It partly looks like the Oval Office. And he also, he has this huge microphone in front of him, and he talks in this kind of almost like film noir style, and it's filmed with crane shots and moving cameras. It's almost like a dramatic movie. It's really weird. I can't tell if it's completely brilliant or Glenn Beck is out of his mind. I can't tell if he is acting and playing a character or if this is really who Glenn Beck is. I don't know any of that stuff. But this clip I'm about to play for you, courtesy of rightwingwatch.org, is one of the most bogus things I've seen in reference to this election. Glenn Beck talks about his plan of buying farmland and guns. Take a listen to Glenn Beck here. But it's suicide to sit back. And not just for my company or your company, but for the country. We don't have the luxury of time. I've been telling you for a while, and I've all told my own staff, if, if the president wins, I don't know how we survive. I don't know how we survive the regulation that is coming for my industry. I don't know how we're going to survive the pressure and the tactics because he has more flexibility now and they remember their enemies. I don't know how we're going to survive because I won't compromise. I won't make a deal with the devil. I want you to, I want you to understand this. Inflation is coming. The fiscal cliff is coming. The dollar fell last night on the news. Your right. taxes are going up. Your health care costs are going up. Of course. Your religion is going to come under attack. Right. Gas, coal, and energy is going to become more expensive. Do you remember that list we put out a few months ago of do these things? So now things? he has this chalkboard he's referring to. I will tell you, last week we purchased more farmland <laughs> as a family. May I recommend if you have a chance to buy farmland, you buy farmland. Yeah. If you live in the East, may I recommend, get the hell out of the East. Find a place where you are surrounded by like-minded people. And the best way to find those people is you should probably look at the maps on how counties voted. Yeah, there you go. Go to red counties. And I, this is just so funny because he says, Obama's dividing America. Obama's dividing America. By the way, I recommend stocking up on guns and moving really far away from people who think different than, differently than you. Obama's dividing America, Lewis. We have to do something about it. Also, uh, buy farmland so you can take it because Obama's going to take that from you. Obama's dividing America. He's out of his mind. This is what people like Glenn Beck have been doing for four years now. Yeah. They've been scaring people into... Uh, dividing the country. Yeah, that's and accusing Obama of doing that. This whole thing, he has like the big mic. This is the Glenn Beck show at this point. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you that 
we deserve to be destroyed because God wanted Mitt Romney to win. And now our ultimate destruction is near. How can anyone listen to this? I don't know. It's, it's so hard to listen to. It's so hard to... Imagine if the entire show was like this. Welcome back to <clears throat> the David Pakman Show. Uh, very special new member today. Louis Motomedy. He, uh, he's dividing America by supporting <laughs> liberal media, but very, very special new member today. I wouldn't watch the show. I wouldn't be a part of it. Please join us on Facebook. I mean, what, how is this happening? And the guy, he still is doing well, right? That's the, the most incredible thing. With the, with the big microphone and the dramatic delivery, film noir Pretending to do his show from the Oval Office. It, it's unbelievable. There is one more thing here. Like, I want to go back to this point that he made about uh, he's, he's basically suggesting to Republicans that are deflected uh, from what just happened uh, to to leave leave where they are, buy farmland, and be with like-minded people. Yeah. This, is, this is the whole problem that the Republican Party has. They are filled with like-minded people. Yeah. The country is not filled with like-minded people, and they've just made a choice to go with a broad array of differing opinions and different ethnicities That's and exactly different right. ideas. There are some cities in this country and buildings over Five stories are the work of the devil. And I encourage you, ladies and gentlemen, to move where things are flatter. <laughs> Be with people who have sawed-off shotguns and know how to use them. Because Obama is dividing America, Lewis. You know what Glenn should do? He should take all of his money, buy some small, small island yeah. in, in the middle of nowhere. Him and all his <laughs> followers can, can just go there. Isn't that how cults get started a lot? It already is a cult. There you go. Now the ships are ground on the shore of this uncharted desert isle With Gilligan, the skipper too A millionaire and his wife The movie star Donald Trump was another public figure that was uh, tweeting about his disappointment in yesterday's election results. This uh, ought to be good. In fact, Brian Williams called him out at one point and said uh, that his his tweets had gone from, you know, just being regular tweets to be, being like borderline irresponsible and okay. embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> so, borderline? <laughs> borderline? I love how tempered the mainstream media is. I mean, I'm glad Brian Williams called him out. Yeah. There's nothing borderline about it. It's irresponsible. It's stupid. It's asinine. Let me tell you his exact words. He said uh, that the tweets had driven well past the last exit to relevance and veered into something closer to irresponsible. You know, uh, we talked about this during Current's coverage uh, of the election last night. Uh, Trump used to have a brand that was a really valuable brand. Trump meant rich. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. why people p paid for the name of Trump. And now it means clown. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's literally what I said on air yesterday. Uh -huh. It means clown. Now, who's, who wants to put a clown on a building? You know, he used to be able to charge millions of dollars. He didn't run the buildings. He just, somebody would run the building and they'd pay him for his name. 
Now, wow. if you put Trump on a building, it sounds like you're having a circus in there. Mm -hmm. So, who would want to pay for that? So, that leads us to Trump's quotes from last night. All right, so many tweets. We're just going to read you seven of them. Uh, there are many more than that. Uh, first one was, well, back to the drawing board. All right, oh, well, poor you. Okay. Okay, okay <laughs> I can't wait to see what he comes up with in the drawing board. Jesus. By the way, um, contrary to Victoria Jackson's, like, uh, 5,000 followers, jeez, one point, what is that, eight? 1.8 million? No, but this is the same jackass when Michael Shore asked him in Vegas. Uh -huh. uh, he was doing a press conference, and uh, Michael, our political correspondent, was there and said, why should people care about your endorsement? He said, I have a lot of Twitter followers. Okay, that's true, but Snoop Dogg has more than four times your Twitter followers. Yeah. So does that mean your, his endorsement is worth four times your endorsement? So here he's yeah. upset. He says, let's go back to the drawing board. Let me come up with other crazy conspiracy theories against Obama. But yeah. we're just getting warms up. That's nothing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number two, he lost the popular vote by a lot and won the election. We should have a revolution in this country. All right, two things I love about this. Mm -hmm. Jackass has no idea how uh, politics works. President Obama did not lose the popular vote. At the time, he was trailing the popular vote. That's because they hadn't counted the entire West Coast. California, Washington, Oregon, deeply Democratic. When you count them, it turns out President Obama won the popular vote by about two or three percentage points. Mm -hmm. Oops. That's what happens when you don't know anything and you hit Twitter anyway. And then the other part of it is revolution. Now, wait a minute. I remember in the year 2000 that the Republican won the Electoral College, supposedly. <laughs> okay, because they stopped her again. Anyway, uh, and the Democrat won the popular vote. I don't remember Trump calling for a revolution. Mm. Surprising. Yeah, weird. He continues to tweet, the phony Electoral College made a laughing stock out of our nation. The loser won when he should have written it in a different way. No, right? no, no, but that spelling error is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not one to ride people on the internet for spelling errors. Who cares? But you're sending out this tweet to two million people. You're supposed to be like this guy who's super successful and you know what you're doing. And you write the loser one and you misspell. I mean, you want to talk about a loser. That's really embarrassing. Loser. Oh, my. You know what? He's loser number one. Yes, yes. That's what it is. Uh, we can't let this happen. We should march on Washington and stop this travesty. Our nation is totally divided. But the nation would have been totally divided if Romney had won. If Romney had won by a little bit, the nation would be totally divided. In fact, Bush won by as narrow a margin as is possible in 2000. And this guy was like, awesome, yes, Bush. So when the Democrats win, we're divided. When the Republicans win, we're not divided. Yeah. And it seems to me from these tweets that the man has never heard of the Electoral College. Like, yeah. he's like, what is this thing about the Electoral College? But this is a travesty. The wrong guy, too. <laughs> Jackass continues. Uh, let's fight like hell and stop this great and disgusting injustice. The world is laughing at us. Wrong again, Bob. The world is laughing at you. That's what's happening. More votes equals a loss. Revolution. He's a child. He's a child. He's just figuring out how elections work. Oh my God, one guy can get more votes, but then the other guy becomes president? What the fuck? I think the most depressing part about this is it reinforces the notion that most of the time, tremendously rich people are also extremely stupid. Right, like so, they always have they always have this like argument about like oh I worked so hard for my money I went to school I started a business I did this I did that right it's because you're lazy it's all the lazy people who can't be as wealthy as we are 
But then you see, first of all, if, if the hardest working people in this country were the wealthiest people, gardeners would be insanely wealthy. <laughs> yeah. And let's not forget, Donald Trump bankrupted four different companies. Okay. Yeah. That's true. He doesn't have any idea what he's doing. The only thing he knows is if I run my mouth loud enough. And by the way, he started with a huge advantage. His dad was a multimillion. Of course. And but the Trump, 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 Trump. That's the one thing he figured out. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. So keeping with our theme for the day involving the Republican meltdown, I thought this was pretty important uh, to share with you. On one hand, we got University of Mississippi students rioting over Obama's victory. And on the other hand, we have people like this guy from libertarianrepublican.net. Now, all wasn't, you libertarians out there... Wasn't that one of those sites Catherine Harris got her poll data from? Yeah, no kidding. I just want to say to all you libertarians out there, before you get mad at me, because this guy's using the word libertarian wrong, go tell it to him. I'm just reading the name of his website. You guys just got to get your act together because you libertarians, every time I hear from one of you libertarians who call into this program, you have another definition of libertarianism than the last libertarian who calls in. I don't think there's more than one libertarian who has your definition of what a libertarian is. So good luck with that. You all want to band together and uh, your individualism, but we're all going to have a non-aggression treaty or whatever it is. Maybe you should just try and figure out what the heck it is, you, you, the name of what it is you believe is. So just... Lay off me for that. It's not my fault. So this is from LibertarianRepublican.net. His name, not mine. A guy named Eric Dondero. All you Erics out there, don't complain to me that his name is Eric. The end of liberty in America. Only course of action now is to fight back. Electoral politics are not working. Time to tell any Democrats you know to F off and die. This may be my last post here at Libertarian Republican for quite some time, possibly forever. I had a long discussion with my friend Jim Wright Guy Lengazi last night. He has agreed. He is the absolute right ideology, a Ron Paul constitutionalist who recognizes the evils of Islam 
and supports a strong military defense of America and, of course, our personal rights to gun ownership. We were crushed last night on all levels, especially in the Senate races. There is virtually no good news from last night's results for the libertarian wing of the GOP. Today starts a new course in my life. I've soured on electoral politics given what happened last night. I believe now the best course of action is outright revolt. What do I mean by that? Well, to each his own. There you go again. Some may choose to push recession, secession in their state legislatures. Others may choose to leave the U.S. for good. Costa Rica, Switzerland, Italy, Argentina, Hong Kong, Israel. Apparently he just wants to list random countries. Italy, a hotbed of libertarianism there. <laughs> that all have national health systems. Yes. For the record. Yeah. Still others may want to personally separate themselves from the United States here in North America while still living under communist rule. The Glenn Beck, grab your guns, food storage, build bunker survivalist route. I heartily endorse all these efforts. Express your hatred, shame, and outright disgust with anyone you know who voted Democrat. However, for me, I'm choosing another rather unique path. A personal boycott, if you will. Starting early this morning, I am going to unfriend every single individual on Facebook who voted for Obama or I even suspect may have Democrat leanings. I will do the same in person. All family and friends. Even close family and friends. I vow uh, who I know to be Democrats are hereby dead to me. I vowed to never speak to them again for the rest of my life or have any communications with them. They are, in short, the enemies of liberty. They deserve nothing less than hatred and utter contempt. You, sir, are a patriot, and I guess that is the last we shall hear from you. Biocondius, except for that shouldn't have been in any language except for American. Say goodbye to freedom as you know her. You've given up all your rights, you don't need them any longer. Change is coming, look out your Also, a lot of racist tweets from Obama. Natan, let's see if we can put that up on our monitors, but also full screen. This is just a co like a compilation of various racist tweets that went out, and everyth it's everything from, I really just can't stand that monkey in office any longer. That's Davis Moody on Twitter. Uh, Shelley saying, I'm disappointed that my state voted for the N-word. Of course, disappointed misspelled, interestingly enough. There's a, uh, a Lauren saying, can we all just get out and vote for Romney so we can get this N-word out of office? Uh, can't wait for Mitt Romney. Someone called I'm not racist, but they are 
anti-dark-skinned is their username. Can't wait for Mitt Romney to win the elections and kick that filthy N-word Obama and his family out of the White House. First thing my mom said this morning, did you hear the bad news? The monkey is staying for another four years. Now, this correlates perfectly with the messages I started getting. I'm not even black, ladies and gentlemen. I know I'm from Argentina, and, and, and Lewis is an Asian-American of sorts, so being of Iranian background. But I started getting all sorts of racist comments and all sorts of angry emails. Damn coward is one I got. I don't know what that even means. I don't know. Uh, another message to me, you deserve to die a slow and painful death. And I will be laughing when it happens. So they must be talking about the rapture. Every, maybe they are. Yeah. Every everybody coming out of the woodwork. Quite incredible. I mean, the good news is the election made it very clear that these people are the minority. Yes, that's that seems to be the case. So if you are one of these people, uh, you are you are outnumbered. Get, you, and you are, are getting pushed out. Losing ground. Yeah, you are losing. As yeah. Rush Limbaugh indicated. You lost. Congratulations. You lost. Just because I'm losing doesn't mean. Doesn't mean I'll stop Doesn't mean I'm across Just because I'm hurting Doesn't mean I'm hurt Doesn't mean I didn't get what I deserve Obama got reelected, uh, several different blogs and people on Twitter started tweeting out pretty racist and hateful things. Really? And, uh, oh, I didn't see that coming. And the uh, people at Floating Sheep blog did something really interesting, okay? They took all of those uh, racist tweets and uh, they did uh, the geotagging. They looked at the geotagging to see which states those tweets came from. Oh, I already love it. Okay. Fascinating. Nine out of ten uh, worst states by number of racist comments went to Republican candidate Mitt Romney during the November 6th election. Of course! Of course! Uh, can I guess? A healthy chunk of the list were red states. Of course. I, well, well, you just said that, yeah. but southern states. Yes. Okay, so there's Alabama and Mississippi. They scored the worst. Wow, they I scored didn't the see worst. that coming. Um, uh, with eight times more racist tweets than the national average. <laughs> okay, and by the way, but before I go on, of course you guys know that this is the most informal study of all time. Like, mm -hmm. they're just grabbing tweets from Twitter. That doesn't represent the entire state. But I think it's still a little telling, right? Of course, okay. of course. Um, also, uh, Georgia, North Dakota, Louisiana, Tennessee, Missouri, West Virginia, and Minnesota all rank three to four times above the national average in terms of prevalence of racist tweets. Among those uh, ten states, only Minnesota voted for Obama. Okay, and there's a... A local Republican leader in the South now, they just, a story that just came out recently where he said, uh, you know, maybe splitting up the country is not such a bad idea. Like, we, we don't agree with one another, you Democrats, it's liberals, we've got no interest in you, etc. So, uh, just as the Lincoln movie's coming out, great, we're talking about civil war again, fantastic. But this time, since they're not holding slaves, like literally not holding hostages, perhaps we'd let them go. And then uh, give pathway to citizenship. For all the reasonable people in the South to come to the North. So you think that that you would actually be behind that idea? No, of course not. Okay, okay. I was going <laughs> to say it sounds I, crazy. It, it is, and as much as we have issues in the South, I actually love the Southern United States, mm -hmm. uh, and, and I'm hokey about all different parts of this country, and I think it's great. 
But you know, when you see stuff like that, it is disturbing. Putting the joking aside, again, man, I you know, I would be really concerned about raising kids in Alabama and Mississippi, right? If you told me to relocate down there, I don't I don't think I'd do it, man. And and so I don't know if that's too harsh, but it is there's a significant chunk there. I mean, what really uh, you know, shocked me was the the polling that they did and public policy polling did this and at the time we were saying hey look it's a liberal polling organization etc now we find out after the elections they were actually the most accurate polling organization throughout the entire election process they checked them based on the actual results of the election and during the republican primaries they had done that poll in alabama mississippi how many people are against interracial marriage interracial yeah. marriage and it was over twenty percent in both of those states I mean, when you talk about, I think in Mississippi it was over a quarter. Over a quarter of the state is against interracial, not gay marriage, interracial marriage. So when you see that, uh, I, 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 I don't want my kids growing up in a place where a quarter of the people are insanely racist. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I don't know what to do about it. Now, obviously, there's a terrific people in Mississippi. Albion. Those, are, those are the most obvious things in the world. But somehow, we've got to get beyond this in the South. I mean, they're a couple hundred years behind us. It's some of them are. It's ridiculous. Back in 2000, when Karl Rove helped Governor George W. Bush become President Bush, it was almost impossible to overstate the adulation heaped upon that senior strategist for his supposed political acumen on the campaign trail. Mr. Rove's campaign strategy uh, wasn't perfect. For example, he kept Mr. Bush in California before Election Day for some reason. He did not win California and never was going to. Florida recount ended up being brutal for the country, but the Bush-Cheney ticket did technically win that year. Then, this previously obscure-ish guy, Karl Rove, became part of the Bush administration and a very famous part of it. He moved into the White House as a senior advisor, then once Mr. Bush was re-elected in 2004, Karl Rove was promoted to deputy chief of staff to the president. Two years after that, Mr. Rove decided in 2006 that he would be running the midterm election campaign for the Republican Party. Mr. Rove's job would be to get Republicans elected to the House and the Senate in 2006. Just before that election, when all the polls were pointing to a big win for Democrats in the 06 election, Karl Rove picked this fight with Robert Siegel of NPR. He told Mr. Siegel, you may end up with a different math, but you're entitled to your math. I'm entitled to the math. Carl Rove's the math that year was very, very bad math. It has been an extraordinary 24 hours in American political history, starting with the polls where Democrats were the big winners, gaining control of the House of Representatives. In the end, they won far more seats than they needed to take the majority. The U.S. Senate is a different story. You know the math. They needed six. The Democrats have gained at this hour five seats. That one race in Virginia for U.S. Senate is still under decided. Democrats ended up getting six. They won that Senate seat. They got their majority in the Senate. Making sure that didn't happen was Karl Rove's job in 2006.
You know what else was going on around that time was, of course, the scandal surrounding the outing of a covert CIA officer whose name was made public purportedly for Republican political gain. Karl Rove was hip deep in the Valerie Plame scandal. He was very nearly indicted in connection with the case. And then there's this year, 2012. Karl Rove has these outside groups, Crossroads America and Crossroads GPS. They raised and spent nearly $400 million of other people's money to affect this election. What did they get for it? One Republican operative put it this way today, quote, there is some holy hell to pay. Karl Rove has a lot of explaining to do. I don't know how you tell your donors that we spent $390 million and got nothing. One of John McCain's former senior staffers put the blame squarely on Mr. Rove, quote, Rove spends more for Republican candidates than the NRSC and the NRCC. Those are the Republican Party campaign arms for the House and the Senate. He is running things. Rove is definitely a problem. Heck, Rove even managed to make Donald Trump angry. Congrats to Karl Rove on blowing $400 million this cycle. What a waste of money. Karl Rove wanted to be wrong so badly, wanted not to be wrong so badly. He wanted to have won just one big race so darn badly that on election night, as things were slipping away from him, he became borderline incoherent on Fox News saying that what was happening was not really happening. I realize that Karl Rove is a very powerful figure in Republican politics, but at what point in this legacy, at what point in Karl Rove's life do people stop trusting him with their money at election time? calling from Brooklyn. Um, I'm calling today because I just listened to the uh, excellent election episode, and uh, I heard the comment that Jen Uger made on the conservative uproar over uh, Nate Silver's presidential polling analysis, um, and, that, and that really struck a chord with me. Um, I think that Jenk was really close to the mark when he said that the right-wing punditocracy's uh, beef with Nate Silver's analysis came down to the right's general aversion to facts, science, and empirical information. Uh, interestingly, in a post on the environmental blog Brist.org a few days back, David Roberts commented on the same issue, and he had a really great quote explaining why Nate Silver ultimately got the upper hand. So Roberts wrote, quote, Empiricism won. It didn't win because it's a truer faith or superior ideology. It won because it works. It is the best way humans have figured out to set aside their prejudices their perceptual limitations, their cognitive shortcomings, and to get a clear view of what's to come, end quote. So I think that Jenk and David are basically um, both right on here, um, but I think that it's important to add that while it's wrong to confuse empiricism with ideology, uh, it's 100% right to promote the view that progressive ideology is rooted in empiricism. Uh, in other words, while it's wrong to accuse Nate Silver of being ideological just for coming to empirical conclusions uh, in his polling results, um, if you run into somebody who is an empirical thinker like uh, Nate Silver, um, they are much likely to be a progressive, much more likely to be a progressive based on the fact um, that they, they do think empirically um, and that they look, in the, look at the world in that way. Um, and, and I think, you know, if you look at this in, uh, from the kind of perspective of the cognitive scientist George Lakoff, you know, this, this all boils down to the difference between the conservative and liberal moral worldviews. Now, if you read Lakoff, you'll know that, um, you know, in his works, 
he defines conservative morality as something based in patriarchy and tradition, um, where things are right or wrong according to a set of inflexible rules that aren't, aren't subject to change, whereas progressive morality is based in a very simple and pretty empirical precept, and that is help, do not harm. So it's a, it's a flexible system which distinguishes right from wrong, not by reference to authority, but by reference to real-world observations about whether our actions will, by and large, reduce suffering uh, and create a healthier, happy, happier, and more thriving society. Um, you know, a really great way to see this playing out is by looking at the gay marriage debate, where, on the one hand, you see conservatives arguing against it based on the Bible and based on tradition. And on the other hand, you see progressives argue that, well, th this is going to be a good thing for society because it will make simply make people happier. It will make life easier and better for couples and families. Um, and that there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that gay marriage will curtail anyone else's liberties or hurt anyone else's well-being. Um, so this type of thinking, this is, this is a really clear example of it, but of course you can see it, um, the same moral dynamic play out in just about any policy debate that you can think of. Uh, so maybe this isn't a groundbreaking analysis, but uh, with Nate Silver in the news, I thought that it might be helpful to draw that connection and to emphasize how important it is for those of us on the left to think and talk about our worldview in, in a very basic systemic way like this if we want to get the upper hand on conservatives in the long run. So thanks a lot, Jay. Uh, great uh, to, to listen to the show as, as always. Keep up the great work, and I hope to uh, talk to you soon. Take care. Hey, Jay. Uh, this is Rob uh, from San Diego, California. I'm just uh, calling to weigh in on the uh, genetically modified organism debate. Uh, specifically, um, I, I myself, uh, I consider myself a scientific skeptic and try to use uh, the scientific method whenever possible to, uh, you know, to uh, arrive at some semblance of the truth in uh, contested topics. Um, and I feel that in the GMO debate that the left isn't really being skeptical enough uh, when tackling this issue. Specifically, the academic consensus right now is that genetic modified uh, organisms aren't any more dangerous to your health than standard crops are. And there haven't been presented any very good arguments to the contrary to that. Uh, specifically, if you're going to allege that GMOs are dangerous, um, you should have some semblance of an argument uh, demonstrating why. Um, I know genetically modified is itself a kind of scary term, but it is in itself meaningless. Every food you've ever eaten has been genetically modified at some time or another, either through hybridization or artificial selection, which is just a natural byproduct of agriculture anyway. So just saying that an organism's genes have been changed doesn't make that organism any more dangerous for your consumption than the wild type, so to speak. And in regards to that academic consensus, people will often allege, well, who's throwing the money around? Who is funding these, uh, who's funding these studies? Now, obviously, we should, should be critical of that. You know, where is the money coming from? Uh, how are the academics funding their studies? Um, but just because Monsanto or a big corporation throws a lot of money at a university doesn't necessarily mean that that money is ipso facto affecting the outcome of the study. Um, academic papers, remember, are peer-reviewed. 
So uh, once somebody comes up with this you know, conclusion and they have to throw it out in front of the rest of the academic community, um, people are going to be actively looking for holes in that argument just, you know, just, just if not to come to the truth, if to dethrone somebody and grab their funding uh, as, a, as a result. So um, it's the, the argument that there is this vast conspiracy of academics trying to keep the truth uh, undercover uh, doesn't really hold up. And remember, of course, that conservatives make the same argument about academics where climate change is concerned. So we have to be careful not to, uh, not to uh, you know, uh, fall into a double standard there where we're praising scientists for their conclusions on climate change while denigrating them where food is concerned. Well, thank you very much for your show. I really do appreciate it. And uh, take care. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So just a quick response to that last voicemail, which because it was sort of um, representative of a lot of emails I got from other people who, at least in my opinion, are, are misinterpreting the, sh- the f- driving force of that sh- episode on food. I, I didn't think that any opinions expressed were saying that genetically modified food was dangerous to people purely based on the fact that it was genetically modified. I, I think that the the biggest argument that's being made is that the food is being modified in order to better endure ever stronger or ever uh, higher doses of pesticides that get sprayed on them, and it's the pesticides that actually pose a threat to human health uh, when you actually eat the food that's been sprayed with pesticides. So that's my interpretation. A lot of people were writing in saying the genetics of food being modified is a natural thing and it's not inherently dangerous and on and on and on. And that's not at all the argument I think it was being made at all. So I'm happy to clear that up. But if I'm still wrong, someone wants to set me straight on that, uh, please feel free. The number again, 206-202-3410. Last day for uh, voting at Podcast Awards. Uh, If you get this message in time uh, by the end of the day on November 15th, please help us end strong. Go vote at podcastawards.com for best of the left in the best produced as well as the news and politics categories. And that's going to do it for today. So thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone who supports the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations. That is absolutely how the show survives. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Fight by now, black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right